Thank you, Dan. Uh, our kids can head up to be with our team in Redemption Kids this morning. And uh, as Pastor John shared in the welcome, in case you missed it, uh, this morning the sermon topic is on sex. So um, if you have a, a child uh, up through the fifth grade and you want to send them to Redemption Kids, just want to make you fully aware of the topic here this morning uh, so you can do what's most comfortable for you and your child. Uh, but the rest of us who remain in here can turn to the book of Song of Solomon. Okay, it's about in the middle of the Bible after the book of Psalms. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, boom, Song of Solomon, we'll be starting in chapter 3 this morning. And I know this morning we're, we're talking about a very intimate and sensitive topic because this is by far one of the most intimate and sensitive acts two people can share together. And so, I want to just say from the outset, for uh, much of church history, and even in many churches today, sex is pretty much viewed as a tool for procreation, meaning making children, and it's viewed as something that really should not be discussed in church. You know, maybe have that conversation off to the side, uh, but not bring it into the church context. And the only problem with that, of course, is the Bible, all right? Uh, why? Is, because from the cover to cover, sex is described as a beautiful gift from God, so much so that the Bible devotes an entire book to the topic, okay? So no matter where you are in life, single, married, once married, now single, teens learning about life and your own sexuality, we all need to see life through God's lens, God's perspective, and he has a lot to say about the gift of sex. It should be celebrated and it should be treasured as precious, which it is as a gift from God. So, We've moved through the last three weeks, this I Am Your series, thinking about how love stays the covenant of marriage. Love secures because uh, we're so committed to one another. There's a, there's a valuing and there's a protective nature of love that pushes out fear. Last week, Pastor John shared about how love serves, that the posture of, of a spouse to spouse should be one of service. Hey, you are more important than I am. I exist to serve you first. And now today from Song of Solomon, we're going to look at how love satisfies. Love says, I am yours and I will satisfy you. And I will satisfy you at every level in the deepest ways even at the level of our sexuality. And so I want to read from Song of Solomon, chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11 together. And, and just before we read, what, what you need to understand about the Song of Solomon is this, okay? Uh, there are three main characters, okay? The groom, who may be Solomon himself or a Solomon-like figure, the groom his bride, and then others who sing choruses at different points throughout this book, extolling the beauty of love as this interplay and exchange works out between a man and a woman that 
have headed toward marriage. They've gotten to know one another in chapters one and two. They've hit the dating season. And now these are the moments just before marriage. And at the end of chapter three, you even see the wedding day has arrived. Okay, so that's what's happening in the book of Song of Solomon. This is what the Bible says, starting in verse one. On my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? She asked. Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house, into the chamber of her who conceived me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. What is this coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense? With all the fragrant powders of a merchant, behold, it is the litter of Solomon. Around it are 60 mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel, all of them wearing swords and expert in war, each with his sword at his thigh against terror by night. King Solomon made himself a carriage from the wood of Lebanon. He made its post of silver. Its interior was inlaid with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. I want to give us two encouragements that flow from these two chapters plus another verse in chapter 5, okay? The first is this, and this is, this is certainly for everyone, okay? No matter what stage in life you're in, this is for everyone, that we should desire sex as a good gift according to God's design, okay? Desire sex as a good gift according to God's design. What we see here in chapter 1, um, it, scholars are debated, okay, in the by the way, Song of Solomon is like one of the most difficult books to interpret because of the poetic nature and because of the exchange and the narration of, of the different spoken parts. Um, but, but many believe that what's going on here in chapter 3, that the, the, the bride-to-be is actually having a dream. Or perhaps she's simply thinking about her upcoming marriage to this man. And so she, she's, she's expressing the desire of her heart, which clearly is sexual in nature. And while her desires are explicitly sexual, it says she's going after him, she's seeking him whom her soul loves. What we need to realize is that one of the themes of these chapters is how she is focused on him as a person, right? And she's expressing the, the wholeness of who she is. She's saying, I'm going after, she says it three times, I'm going after him whom my soul loves, 
And you and I both know that living in such a hypersexualized culture, oftentimes we think about sex and we reduce it to a mere physical reality. And God is putting sex in the context of who he's created us to be in totality, which means our thoughts, our desires, our emotions, our affections, and yes, our actions are all wrapped up in this. It's one whole person going after and desiring another whole person. But as we think about this topic, what we need to understand is that any, any person reading this thousands or hundreds of years before Jesus uh, was born would have understood that all of these words were set in the context of what the entire Bible has to say about sex. So the foundation of these words in Song of Solomon are really in the opening pages of the Bible in chapters 1 and 2. And so when God created man, he said, it's not good for him to be alone. I'm going to create a helper that will be suitable for him in chapter 2, verse 18. And then as the story goes, in verses 24 and 25, this is where we get at the essence of what marriage is and the basis of a sexual union when the Bible says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. And so the underlying message behind the book of Song of Solomon is that sex is God's idea. He created it, and he gave it to people as a good gift. We should never have a negative view of sex when we view it through the lens of God and his gift to us. The very fact that sex is immensely pleasurable is an indicator that God has given it to us as a good gift to be enjoyed within the parameters of what he sets for us. And again, I just want to point out, and this is this not only happens in churches, but this happens in families, right? It's like, and I don't know where it is with your family, and maybe this sermon is a great talking point and and launching point for further conversations between singles and and other singles, singles and married, uh, you know, couples, or or, I think wisely, hey, young women speaking with other women, right, about the topic, you get the idea. But, but, But even families, parents talking about this with their children, and why is that? It's because oftentimes we, we think about the, the negative consequences of sex outside of God's design, and we're so fearful of what could be negative that then we all of a sudden, it's like we view sex as a negative thing when God has said, this is very positive, it's a gift from me. And so I hope even these words that we're looking at from the Song of Solomon will help us understand that God's intention, God's design for marriage One man, one woman, becoming one, and clearly sex is the uniting act that's bringing these two people together, making them one flesh. And the one flesh relationship in sexual union is 
an expression of the relational and emotional and spiritual oneness that is enjoyed between a husband and a wife, as we've been talking about over the past few weeks. But you and I both know that we live in a culture that takes the values of the Bible and by and large, since the sexual revolution and all the liberation that it was supposed to bring, has now turned God's values on its head. Rather than a man leaving his parents, clinging to his wife in marriage, and then consummating sexual union, the norm today is hook up, shack up, and then probably break up, right? And this is like, this is so commonplace. I think, like, even I'm challenged as a pastor to think about how am I thinking about this? How am I helping people? Do I have enough love in my heart to to talk to, to young men and young women or older men and older women about? Not just life, but even the, 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 the clear uh, teaching and principles of Scripture that would say, hey, you know what? Everyone else may be, be doing it backwards, but God has a better plan for us. God has a better plan for you. You see, we're created as sexual beings. God is over our sexuality. He has created us with sexual desires, and yet these desires are to be controlled in a way that honors God. And this is what the bride gets at in verse 5. Clearly, she is excited to consummate with her husband. And yet, she, she gives words of wisdom, words of warning to the daughters of Jerusalem. Look, I, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, what? That you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. In other words, don't stir up, don't awaken desires that are not meant for this time, but another time. So I think we have a beautiful picture here of what a young woman, and consequently even a a young man, should be thinking about sex and sexual desire, okay? She is ready, but she is patient, right? She's ready, but she's patient. She wants it, but she wants it at the proper time. And this is what God has called us to. It's right and good to have sexual desires, even, yes, let's be honest, even intense sexual desires, perhaps as you're moving toward marriage especially, right? And you, but, but these desires should be, must be met, matched and exceeded by Intense desires to honor God. You see that? This is the whole context. The whole context of what she's saying. She's a young woman who's committed to God, devoted to God first before her would-be husband. And so we we live in a world that um, would, would, would highlight sexual desire, right, without honoring God. And then in the church... All we talk about is honoring God, and we don't talk about sexual desire. But God is saying, look, it's both. This is how I've created you, but I've created you to exercise these desires in a controlled, honorable way. And so what does this mean for us? 
if we are to desire sex as a good gift according to God's design? Well, clearly, if, if you're not married yet, this is this, the case for this, this bride-to-be. Whether you're single, whether you're dating, whether you're once married and now single again, the clear implication is seek purity. Seek to honor God in, 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 in the, the deepest level of, of desire. I mean, as we even saw in the Sermon on the Mount, God is so concerned about our hearts, right? It's not just our actions, okay, but, but, but where our heart takes us at the level of desire and affection. So we need to, to practice patience. We need to save sex for marriage. Yes, we, we understand it's not popular these days, but it's the only path that will not leave us disappointed and ashamed when we see life through God's lens. So, so be patient, seek purity, and I think like every dating couple, at least this was the question that I was thinking about and, and, and asking, right? I mean, and, and was talking about with my friends, you know, I was like, how far is too far? You know what I'm saying? Like, you just you start out maybe like, you know, talking and want to slip a little hand over, hold a little hand, you know, maybe, maybe a side hug, maybe a big hug, you know what I'm saying? Just, and it just like progresses, and it's like, how far is too far? And perhaps you've heard, I think, that's the wrong question to ask. Not how far is too far, not how close to the line of impurity can we go here, but but how much can I honor God and how much can I honor this man or woman? To stay close to the line of purity in all things because, oh, by the way, that's why God made us in the first place to reflect how good and how holy he is. Oh, yeah, it's certainly unpopular. But it's true. And so, like, how do we... How do we go about this, and in, 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 in especially in dating relationships? And I would say just to throw out a couple of principles, and I'm not going to be super exhaustive here, all right? And we use wisdom. We apply wisdom principles, and we're led by the Holy Spirit, like in so many areas of our lives, right? But, but number one, set some protective boundaries. Like it, it's, it's, it's unwise to be alone late at night, and maybe for, for you and your girlfriend or boyfriend, okay, maybe it's unwise to be alone at all. I'm not saying, like, you can't go to the coffee shop and have a private, meet, you know, cup of coffee or what. But, and, and I'm not saying this is all, all places, all times. But the point is, how can we put protective boundaries that will keep us controlling our sexual desires and not allowing them to run in places where God is saying, it's not the time for them to go. Young men. I'll just, according to the Bible, it's, it's up to you to take the lead and be a man. And so perhaps part of that for you means you need to have some frank and upfront conversations, taking the lead in the relationship, saying, hey, this is what we will and will not do. And, and, and what keeping my hands to myself, this is what keeping my hands to myself is going to look like on the front end. So there's accountability with this 
woman that you're getting to know, and by the way, not just, don't just have that conversation with her. I would say have it first with someone in your life that loves you and cares about you, that can encourage you in this, yes, because it's hard, and can hold you accountable through the process. So we're, we're patient, and we seek purity, and then also we get there in community. Singleness is, is not an, an easy stage of life when it comes to sexual desires, oftentimes. And it, God makes us all different. We're not all wired the same ways. Some people struggle in this area more than others, okay? So we, we, we show each other grace. And, uh, but at the same time, uh, what, what singles need to hear, what I needed to hear and be reminded of and exercise out, like how can you be content when you have these desires and these desires are going unmet? What you do in the case of any desire that's unmet? Vocational? relational, circumstantial, whatever the circumstance may be, okay, we find our contentment in Christ. We keep saying, he is better. He is better than my desires. I can rest in him. I can learn to be content. Learn, right? It's a process. We're learning. We're growing in it. How to be content in every uh, in any and every situation. Go read Philippians chapter 4. This is exactly what Paul is talking about. Not in the context of sex, but in the t- context of Commitment, contentment. So we're, we're, we're content in Christ, but, but we're also finding contentment, having that contentment encouraged through community. And so this is where we need to, and this is why I love Redemption Hill, and the fact that when we pull people together for groups, all right, like our small groups we call community groups, we don't just say like, hey, all the college kids like connect with this group and all the you know, young professionals connect with this group and all the newly married couples connect over here and all the older married couples connect over here. And it's like, no, we're a family. And families learn from one another, right? So we pray for one another. We support one another. We have hard conversations together. We walk the road with one another. Hey, you know what? Maybe even at times, are you ready for this? Maybe at times we matchmake. I mean, I know there's websites and stuff these days, and I know you can just do your thing, but let me just testify, all right? If it weren't for a friend in seminary that I played ball with after class, I wouldn't know my bride. Hey, I got this Georgia piece that... Natalie and I, his fiance, said, we want you to meet. And I said, yeah, whatever. She's five and a half hours away in Georgia. I'm probably never going to meet her. By the grace of God, the sky is opened. The light shined down on one warm January evening. She rolled into Applebee's. I could barely see her as she was walking through. She's a little short. And, and there, she, there she was. Perfect. Perfect in every way. (laughs) Community. We do it together. We walk the road wherever God is taking us together. And then your friend, like, listen to this, by the way. If you introduce someone to their wife, they're in debt to you until they die. (laughs) So just keep keep that in mind. (laughs) All right. 
But, but then here, listen, to, to encourage, to encourage. As you're patient, as you're pursuing purity, as you're doing that not alone in isolation, but together in community, for most people, I can't make a promise for all people, but most people that desire marriage will probably one day be married. Not 100% of people. God has different plans and works out in different ways, and we trust God in every season and circumstance. But for most people, the wedding day will come. And this is what's going on in verses 6 through 11. I'm just going to give you a few little highlights on what's happening here with the wedding day. Okay? Number one, it's a day of honor. All right? We see this because Solomon brings the best of his resources in order to honor his bride. Did you see how he rolls up in his Maserati? See that? Look, look, look I love this. Uh, behold, it is the litter of Solomon, okay? That's not like trash that you drop on the side of the road, okay? That's not like a, a group of young animals that are born, okay? A litter was like a couch that servants would carry a king in on, all right? So, so Solomon is coming in in this dignified, regal manner, and it says that he has the best wood from Lebanon that uh, has crafted this litter. Um, it says that it's made out of silver post and, and, and gold and fine purple material, okay, that would have even been more rare than silver or gold. So he's bringing his best resources to the table. It's a way of honoring the occasion and honoring his bride. But it's not just about the material things that are communicating how important this moment is, okay, but it's also, did you notice he brings his entourage with him? Oh, come on now, I like this. Solomon got game. Uh, he says, it says here, uh, around this Solomon, I mean, just, man, we need to do this in weddings these days. You know what I'm saying? Can we work on this as a people? All right, this is why we're growing as a church, and as we keep growing, we're going to have more mighty men to surround the young married men that are getting, getting married, all right? And the idea here, it says they're strapped, like they got their swords and their thighs, like what's going on here? It's all poetic to communicate that Solomon is communicating the security and the protection that he is bringing to this young woman. You remember, we just talked about this two weeks ago. Love secures. I am yours. I will protect you. You are safe with me. You can trust me with your life in the most vulnerable places of your heart. So it's a day of honor. It's a day that communicates what's to come. And it is a day of gladness. We see this in verse 11. Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. It's time. They're going to be wed. These desires are going to be fulfilled. Which brings us to the second encouragement I have for you this morning, okay? To enjoy sex as a good gift to satisfy your spouse. Enjoy sex as a good gift to satisfy your spouse. What's, what's happening in chapter 4 is that we are now with them... And they are alone in the bridal suite. So let's read these verses together and see what happens. Buckle your seatbelt, all right? This is great stuff. By the way, in case I forget to say it, we should be reading this more than once a year, 
All right, married couples, maybe once a week. Here we go. Behold, this is the man talking. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them has lost its young. Can I just stop there? Like, hey, here are some pickup lines, you know, some lines, not pickup, but here are some lines for you to exercise. I mean, maybe not these lines, all right? But, 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 but you can do, you can do, you can, you can contextualize it to 2017, all right? Here we go. 2019, goodness, thank you, Jesus. 2019. 2019. <laughs> Your neck. It's like, verse 4, your neck is like the tower of David built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields. All of them are shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Until the day breeze and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana, from the peak of Sinur and Hermon, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice? Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed, referring to her virginity. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all choicest fruits, henna with nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with choice spices, a garden fountain, a well of living water, and flowing streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden. Let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. And others then sing the chorus, eat friends, drink, and be drunk with love. Everybody doing okay out there? Mm, All right. What's going on here? Here's what's going on. Two people have just been united in marriage, and now they're about to consummate the marriage. And it's the most beautiful, most intimate moment between them that they will have experienced yet. And very interestingly, if you read the entirety of the Song of Solomon, you will not find any reference to procreation in the book. 
It doesn't mean that's not a purpose for, for marriage. Clearly, in the very beginning, when God created man and woman, his first words were, be fruitful and multiply. So children, yes, are part of the equation. They're a good gift from God. We see that all throughout Scripture. But in Song of Solomon, the focus is on the pleasure and the gift of sex. And so I want to give you just a couple of encouragements. As you, maybe as you look ahead to, to, to marriage one day and you prepare your, your mind and your, your heart for what sex truly is about and how we should think about our sexuality, or if you're already there and you need to apply these principles. So number one, think about this, okay? The joy of sex begins before sex, all right? The joy of sex begins before sex. Look at verse one. Solomon sees his bride, just as we saw with her. Now he's saying, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. I love this, okay? Once again, he's not just focused on her as the object of, her, of his desire, Right? Again, in our hypersexualized culture, with, with the pornification of, of America in our world, the, 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 one of the most uh, highest uh, revenueing industries, billions and billions of dollars spent on pornography, which is all about the objectification of a woman or a man. But, but Solomon here is concerned not just with her body, but he's concerned with her. You are beautiful. You are the one that I love. And so what we need to understand is that sex is not really about sex. Sex is about loving a person that God has provided for you. I love how his focus is on her. Five times he calls her his bride. Five other times he calls her his sister, which is an indicator that, that once again, it's not just about sex. It's about relationship. It's about friendship. Did you know that your spouse should be your very best friend? And when you're singles, as you're thinking about marriage, as you're moving toward marriage, you're not just thinking about like, hey, this guy looks good, this girl looks good. It's like, no, do you enjoy being together? Can they be my very best friend? This is a question you should ask as you're pursuing a young man or young woman or older man or older woman. But, but as we think about beauty, just a couple of thoughts here, okay? Again, in our, our hyper-sexualized culture, and, and I think like if we're just being honest, okay, I think we could pro- all probably say, at least many of us, that, that we put an, an overweighted emphasis on physical attraction, Okay, and that's not to say that that's, that's unimportant, but what I want to say is that's not what's most important. And why is that? Well, beauty fades, number one. I mean, like, we know that. We just can make observations, but that's clearly what the Bible tells us, that, that, that beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears God is to be praised. And so not just is beauty fleeting, but inner beauty is more important than outer beauty. This is you go read 1 Peter 3, and, and it praises inner beauty over outer beauty. And then finally, and I love this, beauty on the inside makes a person more beautiful on the outside. This is for men and women. And, and here's the beautiful thing. In Christ, we're continually becoming more and more beautiful. 
Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. Outwardly, we're wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. And so we need to think about physical attraction and attractiveness through a biblical lens. But then number two, and I love this, I came across a, a long quote from Mark Driscoll in his book, Real Marriage. And I just want to read it for you because we, have, we need to understand God's standard of beauty for us, not what the world tells us should be our standard of beauty. All right? So listen carefully to what he says. God made one man and one woman. He did not ask them if they wanted someone tall or short, light or heavy, pale or dark-skinned, with long or short hair. In short, he did not permit them to develop a standard of beauty. Instead, he gave them each a spouse as a standard of beauty. One of our culture's powerful lies, fueled by pornography, sinful lust, and marketing, is that having a standard of beauty is in any way holy or helpful. God does not give us a standard of beauty. God gives us spouses. Unlike other standards of beauty, a spouse changes over time. This means if your spouse is tall, you are into tall. If your spouse is skinny, you are into skinny. If your spouse is 20, you're into 20. When your spouse is 60, you are no longer into 20, you are into 60. And if your spouse used to be skinny, you were into skinny, but now you're into formerly skinny. <laughs> we are to pour all our passion and pursuit of sexual pleasure into our spouses alone without comparing them to anyone else in a lustful way. What's your standard of beauty? What's your standard of beauty right now? If you're single, what's your standard of beauty? If you're married, your spouse better be your standard of beauty. And this is what's going on with Solomon. The joy of sex begins before sex, and, and what happens is he gets into the bridal chamber, and he doesn't move to action, sexual action, intercourse. He just starts talking to her. Men, listen up. Look at verse 1. Your eyes are like doves. Your hair like Gilead in an area with rolling hills where the Jabbok River flowed into part of the Jordan River. Verse 2. Can we just read verse 2 again? It's so awesome. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes. I mean, don't you just love that? Girl, you got all your teeth. Your teeth are looking good, all right? So... Um, <laughs> Verse 3, your mouth is attractive, desirable to kiss. Your neck, like a tower of David, stately and beautiful, dignified. It's not until verse 5, okay, just think about the pace going on here. This, this guy is not in a hurry. It's not until verse 5 that he speaks of her breasts, and now he's declaring his intention to make love to her. And he says that the very thought of it takes his breath away. Being with her is like inhaling an intoxicating fragrance. And then verse 7, and, and husbands, speak these words over your wife, please. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Does this mean that a, a woman is perfect? She's perfect to him. When he sees her, he sees beauty. He sees something so desirable. She's his sole focus. No other woman in the world matters now. Just her. 
We all want to be loved like that. Hookup culture. Adultery over here. Adultery over here. Which all flows from idolatry. We want this deep down. Can we start leading the conversations? Can we start talking more about sex from God's view? Because God's view, guess what, is the best view. And what do his his words do? I'm thankful I had some good premarital counseling because I would have probably been an idiot and not understood this, okay? Um, His words build her up. His words give her security. If you go back to chapter 1, she says these words, I have dark skin, I've been out in the sun, which in, in their culture would have been not as valued, right? So she's insecure about the way she looks, but Solomon is extolling her beauty, talking about how beautiful she is, and, and this is building her up before they consummate in sexual union. As J.R.R. Tolkien said, the praise of the praiseworthy is above all reward. She loves this man. What he says about her carries more weight than what anyone else would say about her. So as he's saying how beautiful she is, she's hearing it, and it encourages her soul. As Tim Chester says, love finds us beautiful and love makes us beautiful. And so this teaches us that sex starts with the words we speak and it starts with the way that we honor and serve our spouse. As one female author wisely helped men understand, sex starts in the kitchen. And that means doing the dishes, all right? And not, not, not maybe what you're thinking. Serving, loving, honoring. The joy of sex starts before sex, and then the joy of sex satisfies through self-giving pleasure. His whole focus is on her. He's talking about how, how desirable she is. We get into intimate kissing in verses eight and, and following, and, and, then, and then the joy of what awaits him between her legs. In verse 16, she responds. Look at verse 16 of chapter 4. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. If, if you understood the geography here, there's, there's strong and there are lighter winds coming from, from both directions, right? So there's a strength in a man and a tenderness in a man that this woman desires. Blow upon my garden. Let its spices flow. Can we just say hallelujah to that? Married men, can we say hallelujah to that? Oh, come on now. Come on. I know it's awkward. Let's just get love moves past awkward. Truth moves past awkward. Blow upon my garden. Thank you, Jesus. Let's. Sex is good. It's pleasurable. It's a gift. Hallelujah. Thank you. That's better. And, 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 and women, brides, wives, look, 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 look at his response. 
I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my, my wine with my milk. Can we get in? Amen. Sisters, amen. Thank you. Thank you for not being afraid. Thank you for moving past the awkward. So, listen, just real quick, just real quick before we wrap this up, all right? This is the high point of the book. Their words to one another, the consummation of the marriage, the sexual unification that occurs is the centerpiece of the book. You say, Tanner, what makes you think that? 111 lines before these words, 111 lines after these words. The Song of Solomon is about the pleasure that comes when we enjoy sex as a good gift from God according to his design to satisfy our spouse. He's focused on her. She's focused on him. And what happens when two people, whether you're just having a conversation, hanging out, doing something together, when you're focused on the other person, including when you make love, that's probably going to go pretty well. And so God's wisdom shines at every turn. And we need to understand that, that when two people are united in sex, not, not only does it consummate the covenant commitment and the promises that they made the first time, but listen, every sexual act beyond the wedding night is a way to renew and deepen the intimacy that you have experienced before. And so here's some sermon application for you this week. This was really, it's really tough, right? Make love, make more love, and make more love more lovingly. So if you, if you can't follow that, married people, um, now, for real, I was about to make a joke, but, but it's, sometimes, sometimes it's not easy, and sometimes the real problem is because we're fallen people. We're emotional and physical beings, and sex isn't always great. And so if, if this is an area, like, have no shame. If this isn't going great, can you communicate with your spouse? If you need to communicate with someone else or a counselor, there's no shame in that. No shame at all. But, but, but the Bible says, and Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 7, sexual inactivity in a marriage is just as wrong as sexual activity outside of marriage. Can be just as wrong. And so to wrap this up, I hope that we've been able to see sex is a great gift from God, but this great gift from God like every gift that he gives us, is meant to point us to the giver himself. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I am the living water, what he is saying is, I am your ultimate satisfaction. When you or anyone seeks to find your identity and ultimate satisfaction in your girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, or sex, you will ultimately be disappointed. But when you find your identity and ultimate satisfaction in Jesus, you will never be disappointed. 
God made you for himself. And so as Psalm 16, verse 11 says, in God's presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Let's pray together. God, we confess that far too often we don't share your view of sex and we do not live out our sexuality in ways that honor you. And so God, even this morning perhaps, we just need to come to you and say, Father, forgive me. Show me grace. Cleanse me by the blood of Jesus and his sacrifice on my behalf so that I can start afresh in a brand new commitment to you with my sexuality or start anew with a new commitment to walk in your ways to no matter what stage of life we're in, God, help us as, as singles, help us as married couples, help us as we interact with one another, Lord, to in all of our relationships display your love because it's when we're filled with your love, God, that, that we can truly love one another. And so, Lord, any places where we need freedom, any places where we need uh, just release into what's best, what you describe, God, help us to get there that we might honor you and that we might enjoy you and enjoy the relationships that you give us. So God, over all of this, we start with the declaration, we belong to you, we are yours. And so God, even, even now as we sing this truth, Lord, may we remember that before we belong to one another, we ultimately belong to you. And as we belong to you, that helps us see how we belong to one another. God, make us a church that reflects you in every area, including these very important areas of our relationships. We pray in the name of Jesus.